All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Delivered by DoorDash. Welcome to episode 148 of the DFO Rundown, the summer edition. I'm Jason Greger alongside Frank Saravalli. Today's episode is brought to you by Montana's, where all you can eat rib fest is on from now until September 12th. You can also try their limited time big grill trio, four bones of their in-house smoked pork back ribs, a fire grilled chicken breast, both sauce to your liking, and two grilled shrimp skewers brushed with a garlicky Cajun glaze. Find out more with the hashtag Get Montana's Messy. Frank, how you doing? You had a messy summer? <sighs> Not really. Uh, it's been a somewhat quiet summer. I guess messy would be the best way to describe my golf game at the moment. I'm... Uh... I am a total mess on the golf course. Uh, some lessons, retooling everything, the swing, the grip, the stance. It's been an adventure. What's your ultimate goal by all of this? What do you want? You just want to get better? So like, why are you just more consistency? Um, I, I'm sort of, I've been all over the place. And so um, my irons have really improved. I'm hitting a lot more greens. Um, now, if I can take that same swing and, put it in play with my driver and, and get that cleaned up. I'll be in pretty good shape. All right. Okay. Yeah. Well, you're just adding more frustration. I find anybody I've, anybody who's ever worked on their golf game. It seems to be more frustration for it's, the first year than anything. It drives you absolutely bananas. <laughs> uh, see, I don't care enough about well, I don't golf enough to best advice I got many years ago was with a golf pro we were playing is like, Gregor, you don't play enough to get mad. 
And it, at the time I didn't like it, but then like 20 minutes later, it's like, yeah. And ever since then, man, golf is way better for me. I don't get nearly as stressed because I'm like, well, I don't play enough. So what's my expectations here? So um, my son's actually in uh, what's called Operation 36. They get it for kids. So you start at 25 yards and they basically got a par nine holes, right? You got to shoot uh-huh. 36. And then once you get... 36 or under from 25 then you move to 50 and now he's at 100 yards it's the best way to learn so him and i are uh, it's actually good for me because now we go play a bunch of par three courses so i just work on my short game so love uh, that i kind of like it so it's uh, he's gotten into it so it's fun we'll go and we can bang out nine holes on we're actually golfing on wednesday so we'll be done in like hour and 40 minutes it's awesome that's perfect love that then we go to the outdoor pool so hey that's uh Cannot Killer. beat it. Killer. Now, um, see, I'm, I'm actually, uh, we're recording this on Tuesday. I'm going to West Edmonton Mall. There's a huge water park. I don't know if mm-hmm. uh, you've ever I've been I've seen it. I have, yes. Oh, dude. Like, I'm a water slide guy. I love it. These water slides are epic. I'm taking my uh, my eight-year-old and his good buddy to the water park. And it's like the easiest father day ever because I get to go on all the rides. I love it. So, so answer me this. As Jason Greger is in the water park at the West Ed Mall, are you tarp off or no? Are you wearing a swim shirt? Swim shirt? No, I don't own a swim shirt. No, no, buddy. You know what? I'm looking good right now. I take my tarp off. Trust me. There's no, uh, there's no embarrassment right now. I'm in my. I have a big goal that I wanted to reach uh, by October. Um, what is it? So my goal is. Um, so for most guys, they say that disease all we get, we're much more susceptible to disease when you got extra weight around your belly button and your navel, your gut area. And so they say a, a really good base measurement is whatever your height is in inches. So me, I'm, I'm six feet tall. So 72 inches, if you're 72 inches around your belly button should be half. So 36 and, and I'm in pretty good shape. And I measured mine uh, a few months ago and I was 38 and uh, three quarters. So I was like, what the, so uh, now I'm down to, to just over 37, like 37 and eight. And so I got an inch and an eight to go by October. I want to get to 36. So uh, nice. Yeah. It's a very specific goal. I like that. Yes. Very specific. And it's easy to measure, right? Cause you can see it well, quite and literally. I'm doing a lot of, a lot of workouts and, and honestly, so by doing all that, like, you know, my upper body looks better. And the other thing was I wanted to get that teardrop back above my knee. I haven't had it since I was like 25. So I've been doing a lot of leg stuff and it's all, it's, it's coming. I can, uh, I can almost see it. So it's nice. Attaboy. I am uh, it's Tuesday. I am heading to Italy tonight and I'll be there for two weeks with my family and I will not be watching what I'm eating. Not that I ever do, oh, it's Italy. but, but I do have a commitment that when I get back and in September, the month before the regular season opens, I am going to be crushing it. So I I don't have a specific goal yet, but in light of this, I I will make one. Yeah, I get a goal because for me, like I didn't want to do weight because I could lose weight, but if I'm getting muscle, so to me, it's all about inches. So that was my, uh, I like that. It's always all about inches. Yeah. And so that's what they said. That's what she said. So, um, we will uh we'll go from there i'm looking it's been uh the good news is i can see progress so as i see progress it's uh and and really the last inch a lot of it's diet and so uh i don't diet i just eat healthy so i've cut out a lot of my uh sweet tooth and uh the first two weeks was brutal like sugar mm-hmm. addiction is the worst and mm-hmm. now that i've uh, gotten over it i don't uh, uh i can drive by the uh, the bulk barn and not have to turn in to buy some candy <laughs> So it's nice. You're a candy guy, huh? Oh, dude, I'm the worst. <laughs> so are you gummy candy, hard oh, candy? What do you I, like? I like um, chocolate. chocolate? 
chocolate covered blueberries or raisins love it and then uh, dinosaurs and sour jube jubes uh, i could eat those all day okay so this is a controversial take on my part and may need to break out the hot take mitt canada has awful candy the whole country it just every time i go there i'm like the candy here is so disappointing <laughs> well it depends what are you looking for what candy do you have in the u.s i'm a big gummy candy guy so like like sour patch kids would be my go-to and i know that you can find them but like stuff like that mike and ike like you guys don't have any of the really good gummy candy oh we have mike and ike and sour patch kids they're in like every every drugstore around yeah but you gotta look harder frank your, your selection is bad Oh, wow. See, it's funny. Like, I don't really like gummies. I like jube jubes and stuff like that. But yeah, I'm not a huge like gummy guy. And unless it's like Mike, unless like Mike and Ike to me is not a gummy. I grew up on Mike and Ike. I love those. But uh, um, like hot tamales. Yeah. Hot tamales are good. Yeah. 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 I've kind of grabbed That was like more kid stuff. Now, now I'm more an adult sweet tooth. So. Oh yeah. The chocolate, chocolate covered co- blueberries. That'll chocolate get you covered blueberries, buddy. That's it. Yeah. Hey, I made the mistake once in LA on Rodeo drive of going into a candy store and buying. I said, yeah, I'll take some of those. And the bag, like literally it might've been 50 total. It was 28 bucks. And I was pot committed cause I was at the till and my buddy's standing beside me laughing and she goes, do you want any? He's like, no, I'm good. And so that's like a running gag now. Cause, Oh, I was, I've never been more like, are you joking right now? It was the biggest ripoff I've ever had in my entire life. 28 bucks for like 50 little chocolate covered blueberries. And they weren't even good. God, still man. bugs me. Yeah, I was going to say that $28. That hey buddy, it was the principal, man. It's a principal. Yeah. Jeez. You know how many bags of like, you can buy a massive bag of Costco of, uh, chocolate covered blueberries that are infinitely better than those. And it's like 10 bucks for a massive, like three pound bag. I don't know. I've wasted way more money on dumb shit. Oh yeah. Well, late night buying on TV. Don't do that, Frank. Don't do that. No, that's not my thing either. Now, speaking of big money, since we've talked, uh, Jonathan Huberdeau got big money from the uh, Calgary Flames. Uh, 10.5. The cap hit, Frank, doesn't surprise me. The guy scored 115 points. You know, he's fifth in heart voting. You're, you're going to get paid. Uh, I'm a little surprised of the structure of the deal from a Calgary Flame perspective. The structure in terms of the signing bonus. And yeah, like it's 10.5 no every year. Like a lot of contracts, guys will get more money in the first few years, right? And a little bit less later on. And there's none of that here. Yeah. I don't know that. Does it matter? I mean. Well, you can't buy it out at all, right? Like, well, that's that's by nature of the signing bonus. It's not so much the variability year to year. The signing bonus locks him in, you know, pretty much makes it buyout proof. No, no, I understand that. But even even if you would have paid him like, you know, 14 mil in total money the first few years and it goes down progressively, then the player gets the majority of his money anyway if they're concerned about a buyout. Because let's say hypothetically, the last two years of the deal, he was getting four mil in straight cash, let's just say. And then they're like, well, we're going to get bought out. Well, he get bought out for 2.6. He'd get signed by another team at 1.5. He'd still get all his money. Yeah, I- I, I can tell you this. I, I doubt they were thinking very much about his buyout. And I can tell you that when I look at Jonathan Huberto and his game, I think he's going to be a very productive player to late in his game, you know, 38 and 40. Okay. And I think the reason for that is he's never been someone that's known as someone that's super fast, right? It's not like there's going to be this huge drop off in his, 
in his skating that is going to get in the way of him being a productive player. His hockey IQ is high. He's always been a talented playmaker. Um, and I think as we've seen over the last number of years, his game has just gone on an upward trajectory to the point where he was now in the Hart trophy conversation this year. I think what gets really interesting from a Calgary flames perspective and, you know, fans may, may chirp at that, you know, eight year term, first off, you, you needed someone to commit to your team and your city long-term. So the flames got that in Huberto, which was super important coming off the summer that they had. And, and on top of that, he keeps your team right in your competitive window now yep. for the next number of years. And I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, because of the additions that they also made on defense, if they can get one more really solid player and take advantage of the, you know, this final year that Huberto has on his current contract uh, at 5.9 million, I think if you can get someone like a Nazem Kadri on your team, that the flames would be better next year than they were the past year. Buying or selling that? Well, if you get Kadri, so it'd be Kadri, Huberto, and Uyghur for Goudreau and Kachuk, basically is what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess Gabranson was a regular, so those three in, those three out. Um, mm-hmm. Now, I'm looking at the flames cap situation. Um, they'd have to move they, someone. Yeah, they'd have to move someone. Um you can move you know, one of your defensemen, I would imagine. All those yeah, guys but, in the three to two to four, four or five million range. Potentially, yeah. Like they have, you know, their defense depth is excellent. You know, Calgary's defense depth. They were also one of only three teams to have six D men play 70 plus games last year, which is kind of crazy. So we'll see if they could be healthy. So, you know, one they, to six, they, though. How many teams are better in the five and six hole than Calgary? Yeah, I like their defense a lot. Um, I don't know. They don't have a number one defenseman, but they got a lot of good defensemen. Mm-hmm. They've got a lot of number threes. Is that fair? Uh, I think there's a few guys that would, uh, that could, that could be number. Yeah, like we, I think of a two. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, like Noah Hannafin's like, I think Noah Hannafin. He, he had a really great. good year. Yeah. Like really good. And you know, Chris Tanev for what he does, Frank, his ability to just, you know, be a defensive defenseman who, who can move the puck admirably. Like he's so good defensively. I think sometimes he gets overlooked. So um, let me clarify that for a second. When I, uh, cause I, I realized that when I say they have a lot of number threes that people might find that offensive. I think that all six of their guys average out to a three, which is a lot more than you could say about other teams. Because there's usually they start higher, but the drop off is so big that really they're paying their guys that are in the one and two slots so much that the guys that are their five, six, seven are really not very good. Yeah. Tampa Bay's defense, even though they lost McDonough, it's still pretty good. Um, but there's but. you're talking maybe three, four five teams in the league that could that could be in that conversation. Yeah. I think Calgary is one of them. No, yeah, no. Well, well, defense wasn't an issue in Calgary last year. They have the third best goals against the NHL last year. They true. They're really good. Now, speaking of Hubro's contract, uh, we'll have the GM who traded him, Bill Zito, joining us uh, today on the uh, the rundown. Um, we are now into you know we're almost ten days into August, Frank and uh, Nazem Kadri. You mentioned him. He doesn't have a contract. What's up with Kadri? So my understanding is. They've continued to engage with other teams for all the reports that Nazem Kadri has something locked up with the New York Islanders. I I think that's premature to say. Um, I do think the Islanders have been one of the teams that's been in conversation with Kadri. I think they've put an offer on the table. Other teams have told me they believe it's in the seven times seven range for Kadri. Um, Mm -hmm. 
And at this point, obviously it's not signed. And the fact that they continue to talk to other teams tells me at least that they also haven't agreed to terms with the New York Islanders. So may he end up there? It's, it's certainly possible, but they also need to move money in order to make it work. Like I would imagine Noah Dobson coming off a 50 point season. If you want to sign him to a long-term deal, which I think would make sense, he's probably going to chew up six, 7 million bucks on your cap. Um, when you look at, you know, paying Romanoff, like he needs a new deal. Uh, you know, these guys are going to be, you know, somewhat expensive. So how does that all work out? Who are you moving? The, the speculation, if the Islanders do end up making a move has consistently been around either Josh Bailey or Kyle Palmieri or not Kyle Palmieri, excuse me, Josh Bailey or Anthony Beauvillier. I was looking at the wrong name on my list. Um, and so what do the Islanders do? I mean, that's, that's up for discussion. I think the Calgary flames are one of the teams that's been interested. I think a, a number of others have been poking around of late to try and figure out what's going on with Kadri. And, you know, there, there's still like other quality players. Phil Kessel had 50 points last year. Uh, Evan Rodriguez is a solid player. Frank, like man, Sonny when you Milano, look, like there's, you, there's talent yeah. out there. You look at the lack of cap space around the league I just think there's a lot of guys that are going to be getting squeezed here significantly more than they thought they would on July 13th. Totally agree. Um, and I think Phil Kessel's probably a prime example of that. Like someone that clearly has talent, um, has sort of hit the age curve, not so graciously, but still had 51, 52 points, whatever it was last year for an Arizona Coyotes team that struggled for the large bulk of the year. Everyone thinks of Phil Kessel and they think of him as a goal scorer, but did he end up with eight goals that, that makes it tough, but someone out there is going to get Phil Kessel on a value deal at one year, $1 million or $2 million because the guy loves to play. So he's going to want an opportunity somewhere. My guess is where he has a chance to win again, uh, try and get that third Stanley cup and someone's going to give him a shot. I would imagine I'm oh. not as convinced with some other te- with some other players that are out there. Well, I, well there's going to be some, there's going to be probably f- few guys, Frank on PTOs like we usually see, but maybe even more this year. I agree. But PTOs often turn out to be some of the best stories. Oh, hundred percent. You get guys at, at bargain deals and they, you know, they come in, they're super hungry. They got to, they got to, they got to prove themselves all over again in, in, in kind of a weird way. And, and I also wonder like, you know, there, there's still some young players on teams across the league, guys who don't have our rights, who are RFAs, who are likely going to have to sign for 900 to a million dollars. And, you know, they thought they might get 1.3 or four. And I know people say, well, that's, but that's still like a 33%, you know, decrease from what you thought you might get at the start of the summer. It's just, there's very little money around. And, you know, the, the Kadri contract is interesting, Frank, because you mentioned seven by seven for, for anybody to make that deal happen. Uh, you likely, if it's a competitive, competitive team, they got to make a trade. Yeah. And I think Colorado's still been in the mix, but they're offering a lot less term. My understanding, I think there's somewhere in the $4 million range. I think there's somewhere around four times six, um, seven times seven is obviously a big difference. Yeah. Um, is someone willing to go in between on term and maybe give a slightly higher AAV in order to make it happen? I don't know. Um, but Kadri's 
he's not alone. Like there's like Paul Stasny is out there. Um, and he's sort of waiting, I think on, on what happens with Kadri, at least in terms of the avalanche, um, some really good player, like Tyler Mott's out there still. Um, I mentioned Sonny Milano. You mentioned Evan Rodrigue. Um, there's, there's a whole group of guys out there that as we get into August 9th, it's sort of been unprecedented in the way that this has played out really in the way that it's lingered on. Yes. It's, it is unique for sure. Um, like a guy like, like Evan Rodrigue to me right now, Frank kind of reminds me of Patrick Maroon in the set. Remember when Patrick Maroon was a free agent coming out of New Jersey and people thought he was going to get 3 million bucks and ended up at the end having to sign for like less than a million in hometown St. Louis. And, uh, you know, like Evan Rodriguez had 19 goals and 43 points is very similar numbers to what Maroon had that year and, you know, ended up not getting close to it. So, you know, there's a PK Sue man. I know that he's, you know, he's working with Adam Oates as a skills coach. He's, he's really working on kind of fine tuning some of the areas of his game. And, and he's a guy like, you know, he's made over 80 million bucks, right? He doesn't need money. And uh, in, in PK Subban, uh, there's a guy that, you know, would, would be happy to sign for low, like, you know, a Corey Perry type of player, right? A guy who made big money and then he'll sign for a million bucks or a million and a half or something. And right shot defenseman, Frank, as we know, there's very, there's not enough of them around the league. So I think will somebody someone will sign give him? him. Pardon? You think someone will sign him? I do. I, don't, I honestly don't know because I truly believe in the cap hit. Um, obviously was an issue last year, you know, at, at 9 million bucks, but I don't think the New Jersey devils got one call on PK Subban last year at the deadline, like well, yeah, literally could, not one. Yeah. No, and then surprised me at 9 but, million, but, they, no but someone could have chopped it twice and, and got him into the $2 million range. Yeah. And, and no one was willing to make it happen. Yeah. No, I, you know what? I, I, I could see him for, he might sign for less than a mil. Honestly, I, I don't, I think he's a player that just is going to want to get back in the league. And I think, you know, veteran right defenseman, he'll get signed. You know, another guy who could be a sneaky quality signing is Johan Larson, right? Doesn't yep. cost you very much. I think Johan Larson's a very, just solid player. I agree. Uh, there wasn't, there was a, I should say there was a report that came out on free agent day that said that the Pittsburgh Penguins and Johan Larson had a deal. I do not believe that to be the case. Everyone's sort of been wondering what what's happening with Johan Larson. Um, uh, to my knowledge, still very much a free agent. Yeah. Another guy, because of how he plays Zach ass and Reese, he'll get a contract somewhere. Yep. Frank just, I you think know, his aggressive forwards is New Jersey. Yeah. Guys who can skate. You mentioned Tyler Mott, pretty good penalty killer. I'm, I'm a little surprised. Like I, I think some guys are still their asking point. I keep talking to some uh, people in management that asking prices will just have to come down. The closer you get to camp, there's just there's no other will. option. Yeah. yeah. Um, more surprising signing for you in the last few days, Nicola Wah, five years times 3 million or Lawson Krause five years times 4.3. Well, I'll take Krause because a player committed long-term to Arizona that I think that's, that's one that organization looks at and is like, Hey, um, you know what? Here's somebody who believes in us. We're going to pay him. They got boatloads of cap space. Um, Krause had a pretty good season, right? Like he did. can he duplicate it? I think he could score 20 goals again. Yeah. Like it wasn't like, he, not again, like he's got to do that pretty consistently all the way through this contract in order to make it work. And he's yeah. got 346 games under his belt. And to this point has averaged way less than 20. 
Yeah. Well, I look at Kraus. Two things, Frank. The the roster today. How many guys are going to play that many minutes ahead of him? Right. So that that to me is the uh, the big one. Right. Um, like he obviously two years ago he was terrible. What do you have four goals? Right. He, he didn't fit in Toronto, but you know he had fifteen and sixty six the year before that, and this year he scored uh, twenty goals in in sixty five games. Um, he'll he'll come in around probably you know sixteen to twenty two. Uh, give or take, he's not going to put up a huge amount of points because they're just, they don't score a lot overall in, in Arizona, but there, there's just not many guys ahead of him on the depth chart. He's going to get ample opportunity. Well, his career average is 0.16 goals per game. And like I said, 346 games is a pretty healthy sample size. 82 games times 0.16 is 13 goals per season. 4.3 sounds like a huge bet. Yeah. Well, I don't disagree that it's a big bet. I think it's an organization that um, um, wanted him to commit to them. I think they, they need, you know, you talked earlier about Calgary needing someone to commit to them. I think there's a little bit of this in Arizona. No question. Right. Um, they're entering their phase of their, they're going into their, um, I don't know. Do we call it like a rented building? I don't even, it's not a new building. It's new. Technically it was not. They even are the tenants. Yes. 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 So they're rented building for the next By few By the years. way, it seems like they sold out a couple ticket categories. I, I was reading up on, you know, what's happening there. I saw yes. the seating chart out there. Their ticket prices are really high because at least for Arizona, because it's a small building and they've yep. actually sold out a few categories, which I thought was interesting. Well, that doesn't surprise me at all. I think it's just simple supply and demand. And you, you look when certain visiting teams come to town, Frank, like those games are going to sell out. Like it's not necessarily going to be coyotes fans. It's going to be opposing fan bases that come in there. That's always had like Detroit. When they come to town, I know they only come to town once that building's jammed with Detroit fans, Toronto, Montreal, a lot of uh, Edmonton and Calgary fans go to Arizona in the winter. Right now I'm um, looking at their schedule. It's a little odd because Edmonton doesn't play there until March, but usually a lot of visiting teams in Arizona eat up a fair amount of chunk of tickets. And I don't expect that to change. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, just, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm considering going there on opening night whenever they finally get there in mid to late October, just to see what it's like. Oh, hundred percent, man. Like I, I understand the optics of people saying it's a 5,000 seat facility. That's not an NHL size facility. And, and that's valid. It's hundred percent valid. But when you look at the atmosphere, most nights on how the games were in Arizona, I think most nights, this is going to be close to capacity. And when I've been to smaller rinks, Frank, 5,000, 7,000 seats, when it's sold out, it's, it feels as loud as a, as a 17,000 seat stadium that sold out, right? There's just a different energy when the building sold out, regardless of size. Yeah, I agree with that. And I've, I'm here for the chaos of it. I also think that <laughs> there are a ton of players that have serious concerns and the NHL players association has serious concerns about hosting an NHL team in that arena for a while. Like we're That's no fair. closer to having shovels in the ground uh, or steel in the ground in Arizona. And I know with the weather there, you can build an arena quite quickly, but there's a lot of red tape, a lot to cut through to get to that point. And until that happens, like I'll believe it when I see it. And if you're looking at four years, probably as a minimum right now, that's a long time for a temporary facility. That's not up to NHL standards. It just is. And I, and I can tell you that the NHL PA and the players themselves are not happy. 
Oh, I, I totally get that. That that's valid. It makes uh, makes a lot of sense, and it'll be something to watch for for sure. It's you know, it's like a precedent that the, they don't want to set. Uh, although when I look at teams around the league, I, you know, to me, you know, Arizona is just in a different category. I, I don't see any other market that w- that's going to run into a situation like this moving forward. I can totally understand the concerns from the uh, NHL uh, PA for sure, but. Uh, and speaking of the NHLPA, Frank, I haven't been able to get an answer as to why they didn't um, grieve the Duncan Keith. There, there's $3.4 million that should be available to the PA that's not, right? He retired. Chicago plays the recapture penalty, right? So that's hurting them. And the whole reason that was put in place to get that uh, be- that uh, benefit was for the PA, for more player money. And I'm surprised that they haven't done anything. Yeah, I, I haven't followed up on that. I've seen some tweets on social media and I and I understand what the complaint is that if the Chicago Blackhawks are getting hit with a recapture penalty, then that means that the Edmonton Oilers should be getting a cap benefit because if you think about it, the reason the cap recapture penalty existed was to penalize teams that paid the player more in salary than they earned on the cap. Now the inverse should be true for the Oilers because they paid him less than what they were charged on the cap. And so they should now get the difference on their cap moving forward. But I was told a while back and hadn't, as I said, hadn't checked on it, that the Oilers had known this from the beginning when they made the trade with the Blackhawks that they would not be getting it. Yeah. And I understand that, that the NHL said that. But so why did they say that? That's what yeah, I want. Why, why do they say to number two? Why would the NHLPA agree to it? It's in the CBA. Why would you suddenly this doesn't benefit your members at all? I don't understand it like that. And I can't get a clear answer from it. Like, um, I, I'm just a little surprised by it because usually the NHLPA, like any little change, Frank, to the CBA, they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We don't want this, but this one's just kind of now maybe because it, they're like, well, it's really only going to benefit one team. But it's but the whole purpose. That's beside the point. Yeah, that's it's beside the point because the whole purpose is of having that extra money in the player pool, right. ultimately, right? That's if however you- many more dollars that can be spent by the Oilers to pay NHL players. Yes. So um, it, it is it is a surprising one that the NHLPA hasn't hasn't done anything about it. So now I know I, that- I'll check in on that one and report back for next yes. week. Yeah, because. I haven't uh, been able to get a clear answer from, from them, which is a little surprising. But now I understand also that, Frank, th- this type of thing really is not going to occur again. There's not many of these contracts left, right? Mm-hmm. So so that's a big reason why, maybe. But still, all those know, guys have gone by the wayside. Yeah, right? Like, I think Sidney Crosby, is he the last one on those, like, like a 12-year? I think he might be. It's, he's one of them. And yeah. I know that there's been consternation about the Sidney Crosby contract from the Crosby camp, they had wanted to see if they could renegotiate that deal because I think the truth is they didn't think that he would make it to this point. If you look at his deal, he has just $9 million coming to him over the last three years of the deal. It's three times three. And that's a huge drop off from what Sidney Crosby is used to earning. Oh Yeah. And he's still one of the big faces of the game. So, and one of the best players in the game. Yeah, I don't. But um, well, unless they're going to change a rule, Frank, I don't think they, they ain't can changing really the rule. I I can tell you this. I can tell you that they asked, and the league more or less laughed. Yeah, 
Well, they don't want to set that precedent for sure. I totally No get chance it. you can renegotiate. No, no good. Hey, let's get to our uh, big guest interview today. It's brought to you by the 2022 IIHF World Juniors. What better way to cool off into the rink during the first ever summer World Juniors? Single game tickets for the tournament are now on sale, starting at only 40 bucks. Grab your sunglasses. The brightest stars in the junior game are in Edmonton. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Our next guest was born in Western Pennsylvania, raised in Wisconsin, played hockey at Yale, became a lawyer after that, uh, worked in corporate America and law firms, and then was a hockey agent for a number of years before joining the Columbus Blue Jackets as an assistant general manager. He is now the general manager of the Florida Panthers. The DFO Rundown is pleased to welcome Bill Zito to the podcast. Bill, how are you doing? Great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, good morning. Yeah, great to connect with you. And so let's start here. You were at the helm of a 122-point team last season that set the salary cap era record for goals scored in a single season. And yet we've got a lot of changes. You've got a new head coach in Paul Maurice. You traded away the guy in Jonathan Huberto, who has a lot of your franchise records in terms of scoring. I guess the big question fans want to know is, Bill, why? What are you thinking? What's your thought process? Well, in Paul Maurice, I think we have a, a, a special, a special person. If you've ever interacted with him, as we did, uh, um, he's a guy. I think I used to actually both he and Matthew. You know, checks all the boxes. And when you, you interact with him and you talk to him, and you you feel his passion for the game, you, his experience, his his technical expertise, his human expertise, um, he just is 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 a right fit i'm so excited to be moving forward with him uh and on the player side you know so many factors go into decisions it could be uh, a little bit of today a little bit of tomorrow a little bit of next week next year next several years salary cap uh maybe missing elements to what you have maybe you have a little more over here a little less of this a little less of that so there's a lot of factors that go into these things 
Yeah, no doubt about that. Uh, Matthew Kachuk coming in, signed to a long-term extension as well, eight years, locked up through the prime of his career in South Florida. He's mentioned how excited he is. We've called him a unicorn on this podcast, Bill. What you know? What does Matthew Kachuk bring to the table? How different does your team look? And was that maybe an element you thought what he brings maybe a little bit missing from your team as you went through the playoffs last year? The uh, the unicorn label is very convenient for me because it's sort of that catch-all for a unique entity, right? That there's not a lot of, and it at the same time it's. When you, when you apply all those adjectives as part of that unicorn label, it, it is pretty accurate. Right? When, when you take a, what I think you could, in, in many instances, characterize him as a size strength forward who brings a physical element to the game and some, some, some grit, some passion, and then say, well, he's a 100-plus he's a point guy. There's not a lot of that out there. And then he's 24 years old. You keep... I want to beat up this checking boxes analogy, but you, you keep adding on. And so I think that unicorn label is, is uh, certainly applicable. Bill, you look at this trade and in the history of the game, we just don't see trades that involve hundred point guys very often. Can you kind of give us a little bit of insight into how it came about bill and, and how exciting slash nerve wracking is it as a GM, you know, when, when you're involved in, in, in a, one of the biggest hockey trades we've seen in decades. Um, it was, it happened rather quickly. It was something that came up. Uh, I think uh, I had said at some point in a press conference or in a, in a, in an interview that, you know, at first you're like, you know, I'll go back to Frank, to your, to your, uh, unicorn moniker you know you're not really sure is it you know is the unicorn available you know that type of thing um and i don't know that it really dawned on anybody uh you'd have to you'd have to speak to trees but it didn't you know, didn't seem like it was a trade of the century or type of thing that that you're referencing it was more you know there's we have a salary cap um, we have uh, a COVID-related situation with regard to a flat cap now for a few years. It's going to open up later on. And we have lots of decisions to make personnel-wise. Um, and we have, you know, I'm trying to think of the right word here. Uh, a better word for makeup, the, the consistency, the totality of our team, where you had a, you had a skill set with, with some... Uh, additional attributes that come in that, that, yeah, I do think they certainly enhance our group and we're really excited for that. You mentioned the, the totality of your group and we've seen teams that are very good and they feel like there's just one or two ingredients missing. You know, you go back to, to Tampa Bay, one of your biggest rivals, when they basically said, hey, you know what, we got to get grittier. They went out and got Coleman and those guys and they kept their top end skill guys. You get a unique player because he's skilled and gritty. Did you feel your team come playoff time? Did you need uh, an extra maybe jerk mentality as well as physical mentality? mentality you know that's a question that we debate here every day uh, I'm not sure it's as easily discernible as that we okay. need this okay but could you look at certain instances or parts of those games and say well we could have used a little grid here yeah sure I mean I'm, I'm quite sure we could have looked at some of the games and said well 
in game four, which I thought was a pretty complete game on our part, and Vassy was just unreal, could we have used more goal scoring? How about any, right? So, so it's a little bit of a balance, but I think that, you know, I know that this, this combination, this package of skill, scoring, grit, speed, energy, and, and the personality too, right? Um, Matthew, Matthew seems to be the guy who, um, I, I, maybe I'm going to regret it, but I use that analogy because I just watched the movie, uh, you know, Jimmy at the end of Hoosiers. Okay, yeah. I'll make it. And, and there's, so there's a lot to be said for that. So, Bill, um, you, I just ran through your resume to start. You've been around the game a long time. You've now had a few years now in the chair. What have you learned about yourself as a general manager and going through the process and building a team? Uh, we talked about some of the changes that you've made this summer, but you also made some really significant moves at the trade deadline um, and, and went for it. And I think a lot of people admire that. What, what have you learned about the process? Wow. How long do we have? Um, Unlimited. That's the best part of the podcast. <laughs> no, no we're, we're limited. Um, I guess the biggest two things, two things. One, the, the simple one is just how important it is to be organized. Um, that the organization, if you're not, or when I, when I find myself slipping and getting a little bit disheveled or a little, I've got to take care of this or I've got to take care of that. It's hard to play catch up. It's almost like a hockey game, right? If you're a little bit out of sorts and maybe you go down a couple, it's, it's tough to get back into it. So that staying organized and staying focused on and moving forward day to day in whatever operation you're dealing with, whether it's scouting, the NHL club, the minor league club, budget, whatever it is. So it's the, organ the organization is one thing. And then I used to give Rick Dudley a hard time. And Rick is a, a trusted and valued member of our staff. When he was a GM and he would react so emotionally to wins and losses, particularly the losses. I was an agent and I would, I would tease him a little bit and say, Rick, you know, it's December and uh, you're, you're going to lose again. You know, you, you probably get over this. And I didn't appreciate how high the winds are and how low the losses are. And uh, trying to keep that balanced, not only for your own sanity, but for everybody else, I think is, is paramount. And then so I guess... A third thing that I would add is, is culturally how important it is to ask why. Whatever it is we're doing, why are we doing that? And if the answer isn't because of ABC and that makes a lot of sense, well, then you can examine it and, and re-examine it and maybe come up with a better way to do things. It's interesting, the why question, because I've wondered this just thinking about how teams are built and... I always ask myself, why are NHL GMs so risk averse by nature? Um, you see the changes that are made year over year from teams. You see teams that had a lot less success than the Florida Panthers had last season, and they're rolling back much of the same group. You're willing to make changes. You were willing to make changes at the trade deadline. Do you think that's part of your own nature in the sense that, you know, just how you view things may be a little bit different in terms of your risk tolerance how does that how do you assess that as a general manager 
I can't speak for others. I would say that I'm, you probably have to have the luxury when you're evaluating a, when you're doing a risk analysis on someone else's behavior of making sure that you can appreciate all of the data or information they have, good or bad, what they feel the information they have is through their prism, through their information stream. So that which you may think is risky to that individual may not be, but you're not privy to all the information they have. I have a house that's a you know $50 million house. I'm selling it. And I sold it for 25 million. Okay, wow. Um, well, it had termites or, or it's on a floodplain or the neighbor's house has termites and it's just a matter of time. Uh, these are bad examples, but you know what I'm saying is mm-hmm. that's one thing. Um, and I, I guess, you know, every situation you look at, you look at the, the cost benefit on that risk analysis and say, is it worth it? Can I recover? Worst case, can I recover from it? Uh, what is the true value? And um, yeah, that's that's my answer. <laughs> <laughs> Bill, for, for a lot of people maybe who who don't get to see the Panthers every day, what impressed you most about Anton Lundell and what are you excited most about his potential future? Um, hockey, hockey wise, his his sense is considerable. His his skill level is a little higher, I think, than most people think, but his hockey sense is is high end. Um, you can as support or evidence to support that, I will point out that he was on our top penalty killing unit as a rookie. Um, you, you have to have some pretty significant understanding of the game and instincts uh, to be able to do that. Um, off the ice, he's mature beyond his years. And I think that's a, an overused statement or it's a frequently used statement. In this instance, it's spot on. He's a, uh, He's very mature. He's very driven, wants to get better every day, wants to learn every day. um, And it will not be satisfied with status quo. We'll keep pushing himself and others to be better. You mentioned the flat cap and it's such a highly competitive time. Now, every dollar and cent can make a big difference. But ultimately, when you look at winning organizations, um, they talk about culture and some people try to downplay it, Bill, from the outside. I'm one who's who's a strong believer in successful organizations have a good culture. Can you talk about what you feel culture means to you and how it's always evolving and massaging it to have it become one that you feel is a winning culture? It, I, I, I appreciate the difference between what might be perceived as a successful organization and a winning organization because it seems like I, you have to cross the river Hades to get there. Um, and, you know, we, we want a playoff run. That's about it. Right. We, we need to improve. We need to get better. And so if we had to apply just one label to the culture, perhaps it's that it's that characteristic that I just referenced of Lundell. It would be a collective sharing of at least one notion that how can I get better every day and how can the group get better every day? That that's maybe it. And, and it doesn't stop. It doesn't, it, it doesn't stop. In my experience, 
it doesn't stop in in the last minute of the Stanley Cup winning game. The guys they can't help themselves. That's just how the how the team is and how collectively and individually it's the same. Bill, I wanted to dive uh, a little bit into your background. Um, we mentioned your path as as an agent for, uh, before you joined the Columbus Blue Jackets, almost twenty years. Um, did you uh, did? I, and I didn't know this, uh, and I probably should have asked before we did the pod. Did you actually live overseas for a time when you were an agent? <laughs> when I got out of college, I played like in in a series of. European uh, leagues. Um, let's just say they weren't scouted. Right? <laughs> okay. it, was, it was a great. So we so you had a good culture. time. I have a lot of experience with cultural experience. Um, but I had ended up sneaking into Finland and playing in a, a town called Salo in a lower league, a lower division there, which was a little bit more of a legitimate hockey uh but the guys all still had jobs. Maybe two guys on our team didn't have jobs. I, I maybe I made a hundred bucks a week. I don't know what it was. But um, then when I when we started the agency and I and I partnered up with Marcus Leto, um, practically speaking, at that time this was like ninety five to two thousand. Helsinki had three pro teams, right? You have Espo, Jokerit, IFK, and you've got the junior leagues. And there's 12 teams in the league. So on any given night, you could have half the league playing in Helsinki. Hamelin is 45 minutes. Turku is an hour and a half. Um, so now you're up to 10. Like, like you can almost see the whole league commuting just from Helsinki. And then you've got the junior and they're developing players. And if you like hockey, what a great place to go. So I just got a flat and I would commute back and forth. I was single and it, it was it was wonderful. It, I, it was like a, a hockey dream world. So you're going back and forth between Helsinki and what, Chicago? Uh, no, at that point, I was when, I, when we first started, I was in uh, Enfield, Connecticut, which is a town right, right outside Springfield. Nice. Yeah. So how do you think your experience, you know, living for a bit and playing and working in Finland has helped you on your path to becoming an NHL GM. And was that always your goal? Did you always, as you were an agent, were you satisfied, happy being an agent? Would you have stayed one? What was your career path? What was your goal? I had always wanted to be a GM since I was a little boy. Um, I had had the privilege of being a bat boy for the Milwaukee Brewers. And the general manager was a guy named Harry Dalton, who kind of took a shine to me and was very kind, very helpful to me and gave me lots of advice, lots of guidance um, and, and sort of pushed me to say, well, why don't you be a baseball GM if you can't be a ball player? And I think hockey is my passion. Well, then go be a hockey GM. And here's you need to scouting. You need to focus on. You need to watch the players. You need to learn. So all these things. And in high school, the, the kids used to joke that, you know, Bill Zito, he wanted to be Harry Dalton. That was my goal in life. And then, you know, after college, I, I wanted to be in hockey, but you had, you know, I had college loans to pay off and I had some opportunity costs in my, I guess what you would characterize opportunities in the legal community in Wall Street. So um, it just sort of fell into place. And then when I became an agent, I really did initially think I would do it for a short period of time as a path 
to break into the hockey world uh, on the team side. And then as, as it, it just, as you guys can appreciate, it grows exponentially and it just kept growing and growing and we were enjoying it. And I, I was learning every day and I was really enjoying the relationships. I was still pretty young and, and similar, you know, close enough in age to the clients where the relationships were really tight. Um, but when, uh, when Yarmo gave me the chance to move over, it was the right time for me uh, to move on to Columbus. And um, I cherish those days uh, on the agent side uh, as much as I, I love the days here. What was the big, biggest advantage being an agent that helped you being a GM? Um, it's one that I think a lot of agents would, would tell you or would agree with me. When you're an agent, if you are so interested or if you're predisposed to this type of inquiry, you're almost going to what I have, I've referenced this a number of times as uh, hockey or NHL university, because you can learn about individual organizations through and via the experiences of your clients. So if you have guys in the minors and you interact and you're close and you pay attention, you, you know how they're developed, you know how they communicate with the minor league coaches, you watch the games, you know what the systems are, you know what their off ice is, you know how they feed them, you know what they feed them, you know their travel scope, like all of those little nuanced day-to-day -day activities that are so important on the development side, you know via your experience with your clients. On the NHL side, you interact with the general managers and you get to know them, you negotiate with them. Through your NHL clients, you now have the same set of experiences and information streams. And you get it from 32 different teams. So there's a wealth of information across the board um, that you can you know, digest and, and hold on to and, and catalog and just save for future reference. So I think that that, that experience and that ability um, to really understand the inner workings and the hows and whys has helped me quite a bit. Bill, how... How serious is the art of negotiation contracts? Do you feel from an agent perspective to, to a GM or assistant GM who's ever in charge, each franchise has, has a little bit different uh, pecking order as far as who's, who's negotiating contracts. Is it, you know, is, is negotiating contracts maybe easier than facilitating trades ultimately you find, or is, or is there an art for, for both that's, that you need a different skill set? It's a tough one. And I think any, professional whose career is um, sort of negotiation based on a daily basis would, would look at pro sports and kind of roll their eyes. Think you know, I'm, I'm, I'm negotiating contracts for soybeans all day, every day for British petroleum. That's what I do. And the, the, the smallest contract I've done is uh, 200 million a day. <laughs> Right. And so the the scope, the the, the magnitude, the difficulty um, or, or even, you know, look at some of the political negotiations that take place. I am literally trying to free. I'm trying to save someone's life and get them out of a foreign prison. Yeah. They want a murderer. Right. A sentenced murderer from our country to be released and free to go ostensibly to do it again. 
but I'm a little bit worried about an entry level contract for Joe Smith. So, you know, the, the scope and magnitude of these types yeah. of decisions. So I'm not sure um, practically in the hockey world, it's just, it's, it's been difficult to do trades for lots of reasons. Cap, um, both the, the current salary, your ability to retain, um, your, your ability to retain the player long-term. There's all kinds of reasons. I mean, it, I think we were in February and there were like two trades or something this year. So I, I, I would have to say it's probably easier to do the contracts than the trades. All right, Bill, we really appreciate your time. We're going to wrap up in a second here. One final one for me. I, I mentioned the trade deadline. We've talked about the process, how difficult it can be to make trades at times. You know, as I mentioned, you went for it, trading for Claude Giroux, trading for, um, you know, some help on your blue line. When you take a look at the end of, you know, the end result, and you, you talked about how we won one playoff round, not nearly good enough. What did you learn going through that process? And then now you're looking at, you know, you've got your draft board in your room and, and you're, you're short on first round picks for the next number of years. You know, you went through a process where you're trying to recoup picks at the end of the deadline, you know, the Max Domi trade, for instance, helping facilitate that. What's that like balancing all of it? And, and what did you learn through the process? Um, my learning curve on this type of acquisition probably started with Duchesne when I was in Columbus. I don't know if you guys remember yeah. that one, but it was just, oh, they're, you know, they're all in, blah, blah, blah. Um, we had elected to keep Panarin um, as, as to rent him to ourselves, that type of thing at the time. Um, probably the lessons learned from this past deadline, um, uh, those classes have yet to be taught. We'll see now what the, what the impact is. Um, strategically you make decisions and think uh do i have an answer for this particular element of the equation we think we do but we don't know so if we're right um well then we learn that yeah we were right and you know what that that philosophy that that process or that way of thinking was accurate if it doesn't work out why didn't it work out was it was it the thinking or was it just one off did a guy, you know, broke his leg. Well, what can I tell you? Or um, is it, what, was there a flaw there and you made an error in the way you reasoned it? So I think it's a little premature for me. And I don't think um, the success or failure of us to continue to move forward in the playoffs is necessarily the only factor that we can look at. Awesome, Bill. Uh, we always like to end with a little fun, little rapid fire. The only rule is you have to answer the question. All right. So uh, here we go. Uh, what years were you a bat boy with the Brewers? Uh, 81 to 83. And then sort of some part times, you know, in the summers, you'd come help out. Gee, those are like the, the prime years of the Brewers, yeah. man. That's that's when yeah, you yeah. went to the uh, to World Series. So who was who was your favorite player and why? <sighs> I got to be honest with you. It was a different, they were so kind to me. Uh, I am almost going to start crying when I think about what those guys did for me and how, how collectively that group of men treated all of us, all the kids in the clubhouse. But they, those guys would go to my high school games. They would make sure I did my homework. Awesome. Um, when, when I, I had, 
not to get into this huge story, but I had a, an extra year of high school in the Boston area. And I had, I had been accepted the day the Brewers were playing in Fenway. I opened, I was going to the game that afternoon to visit the guys and I had opened up and I had been accepted to Harvard that day. And of course I told Mr. Dalton and I came in the room and they had a hip hip hooray. And it was just a, the collective kindness and appreciation. It was like every guy in that group understood what it was like to be a kid working there. Oh yeah. I can imagine. And did you ever take BP with, yeah. did, you ever, did you take BP? What kind of hitter oh, were you? I was pretty good, but you need yeah. to understand that the, the, it was, we joke about it all the time. Harvey Keene was the manager who had been a hitting coach. He had, he had led the American league in hitting when he played. Yes. And he was the manager. So we would go early and get our stuff done and you do the laundry, do the shoes and everything. We get there like before the laundry was even ready to do, we, we'd be cleaning. So as soon as we could get on the, as soon as the grounds crew was done, we could get out and set up BP and go out and he'd help us and no, no lower your hands and raise them. Remember that was the era of like Willie Starge was doing this and yes. John Bus was doing this and he had all these hokey, crazy, and Jim Rice was coming in with Boston and Yaz was still playing. You, know, you could talk hitting and everybody was available. It wasn't like you just walk over to the, hey, Yaz, can I ask you something? And it, it was like, I can't make it up. It, it was like heaven for a baseball fan. So every oh. single day we were out there. And then after we hit, um, we, we were smart. We made sure we took care of like the guys who were pitching BP. Their laundry was pristine. Their shoes <laughs> shine. And these weren't like major league ball players. These were like fill-ins or like, you know, coaches down the line. Then we'd go out and we'd shag balls. And uh, it, it was, it was awesome. Oh. So what's the backstory? How did you become a bat boy? I switched high schools after my freshman year. And uh, when I went to the new high school, Harry's daughters were in my class. And they were also new students. And we kind of became initial pals. And um, then uh, I, I kept hounding them, you know, I, you know, I want to meet your dad. I want to and then I met their dad, Mr. Dalton. I want to be a bad boy. He said, you have to be 16. No, I don't. I can do it right now. No, no, by law, you have to be 16. <laughs> then uh, I, I suspect they put him up to it. But on my 16th birthday, then he called me and said, you want to be a bad boy? Wow. And how did you pick Yale over Harvard? My teachers and uh, two things, my teachers and uh, Tim Taylor was the coach. And uh, he, Tim Taylor is a guy, uh, he, he passed away years ago, but uh, it did. it's just done so much for me. And uh, was a reason. Bill, you mentioned earlier how as an agent, you were joking about, you know, the highs of the wins and losses. What about as a bat boy, the highs and the wins and losses during those three years for Milwaukee Brewers? Like, did they, like, what was your emotion at that point? Were you, could you stay calm? Like how were I can just imagine though, because you feel that much part of the team when you're a bat boy. I mean, you guys, seriously, it should be a book or a 30 for 30 type thing that that particular group, but the, it, it was really interesting because when the players would come in with this, you know, of course you have pitchers getting pulled 
are guys striking out in these in the and and they won ninety some game. I mean, it was a good team, right? Yeah. So they would inevitably come up to the locker room, and some of the guys were going right for a cigarette, <laughs> right? Because we had beers, right? We had to ice the beer and put it out, right? Um, we had cigarettes and chew, but it was almost as if the the clubbies were the the first point of contact of service or relief or a figurative hug. So when the pitcher came, he was going to the trainer to get ice for his shoulder, right? So I'd make sure the ice is ready. And then depending on who it was, what kind of beer they liked or Gatorade or water, you'd bring it there. And so there was that level of appreciation. Um, I mean, I remember when, when they didn't win the, when they lost game seven, I was crying and I was all embarrassed. I, I'm not crying. I have allergies, but um, <laughs> we we learned so like Robin Young was yes. always all. I mean, always the same guy. All and always didn't matter. He never treated anyone. Never high. Never low. Never always. And there's so many lessons from that group that every single day I use a lesson I learned from those guys. So did part of you cheer for the Blue Jays when Molitor won the World Series? Yeah, yeah. He was another guy. He came to my school once. Just, I, I can't, I can't tell you, I can't impress upon you guys enough how well they treated us. And the little things they did to make us feel like we mattered when we were just a bunch of high school kids, you know, like, it, it. Do you ensure that your organization, your players do the same to, to people in your organization because of that? It's going to sound like um, it's disingenuous, but it's true. I don't have to. One of the blessings that we have is with our group is to, to a man, they are a gracious, considerate, really kind lot. And I know that I have the title of general manager so that if I bring, for example, 20 minutes before the game, some kid in the hallway and sneak him in the locker room and the guys are kind to him, well, of course they're going to be, right? But it's not. It's it's because they're kind. And it, it, it we're, we're really blessed with a, a high character group of men who appreciate it, who are, um, you know, in any point when the, we have an optional skate and the staff guys bring the, you know, the players and some of the staff bring the children out to skate at the other end. They're always involving everybody. It's just, it's a really nice group. Lastly, Bill, um, after uh, your first playoff win, a series win, um, or your cup win, or maybe even a big trade, what is your cocktail of choice? Sasakaya. Ooh, I like it. Bill, <laughs> I really appreciate your authenticity today. Uh, thanks so much for joining us on the rundown. Thank you, Frank. I had to go with the Italian wine. <laughs> I love it. GM of the uh, Florida Panthers, uh, Bill Zito. And you know what, Frank, it's it's rare to see big trades like that. So uh, it was good to get kind of into his uh, head on that a little bit. And it's you know, a really interesting guy, too.
Yeah, I'm curious to see how the uh, how the Panthers do this coming season. They obviously still have a boatload of talent. There's no question. Mm-hmm, no doubt. Now let's bring in uh, Tyler Remchuk for buy or sell. Yes, it's another edition of buy or sell delivered by our friends at DoorDash. Ding dong. Uh, let's dig into things here with uh, the one team that made some news over the last week you guys didn't touch on in the open, and that's the Boston Bruins. I know it was kind of expected that, you know, Krejci and Bergeron would be back. But now that it's official and we know they'll be in the lineup, they're without Marchand and McAvoy for a bit. The Boston Bruins have a blank percent chance of making the playoffs next season. Frank? 55. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Hey, by the way, what a sick deal. You look at value for Patrice Bergeron. Yeah. (laughs) That's great value for the Boston Bruins. But. Man, they got some key injuries. So can they overcome those injuries? Yeah. I, you know what? I like Frank's number, but I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to go the a little bit of prices right here. I'm going to say like 52 percent. Oh, wow. So you, I, I was going to say, <laughs> did you think I was low? Because my the big reason I, I gave the number I did was because I'm thinking they're going to be losing more points to other teams further down in their division, like Ottawa this year, like. Buffalo. I think Buffalo is going to be a little bit better. Um, like Detroit, like those teams should be better. And you're looking at a spot where can you, can you hang on? Yeah. It's like the yeah. gap between Boston and Buffalo this year was not that it's, it's a good enormous. idea for me to do math. It was 32 points. I can guarantee you it's not going to be 32 points this year. Right. That's the thing. So how many points get shipped away by those yeah. other teams? Yeah. While they're, especially while they're coalescing from their injuries. Uh-huh. Uh, you guys talked about Jonathan Huberto off the jump and that big ticket he got. He had 115 points last season in 80 games. Assuming he plays 82 games or close to it. How many points will Jonathan Huberto get next season? Jason? Yeah, I look at his point totals. I, I think, you know, offense is up in the NHL. So that definitely plays a factor. Um, you know, he's going to be on the number one power play in Calgary. I see him kind of slotting in, you know, replacing, um, you know, well, pick your poison, Goudreau or Kachuk. He'll obviously be on the top line. I'm going to say he scores 90 to 95. All right, Frank. And we're thinking alike today. I was going to say 98 points. Uh, Not quite at the 100 mark, but close. Close enough, probably. (laughs) Uh, Interesting article over at TSN. Travis Yost has kind of been ranking teams based on he's been doing tier lists based on center, left wing, right wing. And he had three teams who he considered to be elite down the middle. They were Edmonton, Florida and the Toronto Maple Leafs. My question to you, the team in the NHL who is the deepest at center is blank. Frank. Uh deepest meaning one to four, right? Yeah. I was thinking about this the other day. I I like those three teams for all the reasons you mentioned, and they don't quite have that top, top end, you know, McDavid, um, dry sort of skill, but yeah. one to four, I, I actually really like, I like the Tampa Bay lightning. I mean, they're in a spot where they're probably right in that next tier down point, Sorelli, Paul, and Belmar. I don't know. I'd be hard to, to bet against that group. 
Well, here's the thing is, what about Ross Colton? Like, Ross Colton took almost 600 face-offs last year. Yeah. yeah. No, Ross Colton's goals, a great, right? he's a great example. Like, if yeah. he's considered a center, because I was looking at, like, if you go by the NHL website of guys who are listed at center, some of them aren't actually centers anymore. They're, like, they're moonlighting as centers, right? Yeah. Um, I was just looking at the way they wrapped yeah. up the season because nope. Paul ended up playing center and Colton yeah. was on the wing on that line. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um but that's it. I mean, that's if you're t- if you're looking outside of those top three, that's the next team on my list, I think. Yeah. yeah. And in Tampa's- fact, I, I would probably I would consider putting them right in line with the Leafs. Yeah, see, it all depends. Like Ryan Nugent Hopkins played center for maybe half the time last year. He's not a great face off guy, but he's a really good like he's a really good third line center. So if Nugent Hopkins is at center, then it's hard to beat Edmonton because they have to. Like McDavid's better than any center in the league. So if McDavid cancels out Matthews, yeah. well then dry settles the next, right? Like he's, a, he's the best number two center. If you look on any team in the league. So if you have the best one and two, but your number four is meh, does it really matter? Because you know, your, your one, two and three play so much. So yeah, it would still be hard for me to, to, to pick anybody because of dry settle and McDavid, obviously Tavares and Matthews are super close and, and bark off and, and Florida, I might actually lean to Florida because of the depth that they have. And Barkoff is like really good, right? Yeah. So yeah, he's not McDavid, but it, it's not a massive gap between him and McDavid. Anton Lundell is, man, he is, really I good. think he's underrated. He is a solid, and he was a rookie. I think he's only getting yeah. better, right? Sam Bennett, they got lots of guys that can play the middle there. Uh, Lusterinen. So I might actually go with Florida if we're doing depth overall, but obviously top end, it's Edmonton. One team that would be interesting to come back and have this conversation about a year from now is what if Quinton Byfield takes a step forward and, and the Kings are suddenly going Kopitar yeah. to no Byfield down the middle. I mean, you want that's to talk about, one. you want to talk about being in a division where you got to go up against the McDavid and dry sidles. If, if that's your trio down the middle, you're, you're probably set up for success uh, pretty nicely in LA. And you know what? Blake Lazotte underrated as a center iceman in LA. Like he is just, mm-hmm. he's a little spit disturber that um, <laughs> he, he adds a lot. Spit uh, disturber. I've never heard that. Yeah, we keep it clean. Shift, <laughs> shift disturber. No, that's a good one too. Yeah. Uh, let's wrap this up with our Montana's bonus question. Like Jason said earlier, all you can eat rib fest is on from now until September 12th. I had a chance to go out last week and enjoy some with the uh, real life podcast guys. And they were fantastic. It's kind of a bit of a slow sports run right now. So I'm going to ask you guys this for the bonus question. What show are you binging right now? Frank? I'm not binging anything and I'm looking for something. I, I'm, I, I don't have anything in my queue and I'm, I'm sort of disappointed by that. I would love something to watch right now. I need a suggestion. I'm okay. with you, man. There, there's not any new summer shows. I've watched quite a few shows, but I'm kind of tapped out. I also trying to limit myself in my TV mm-hmm. viewing. So I've been watching movies and like breaking them up lately into an hour a night watching uh, different movies. But I actually did just uh, download unrivaled so i'm looking forward to watching that this week uh, that was yeah. good i'm uh i've been watching a lot of baseball oh really yeah yeah i'm a big baseball guy how about this for a summer show hey, dude what are, what about a baseball are you kidding me man aaron judge how can we not talk about that guy that's unbelievable what he's i actually doing. went to yankee stadium last week i'm, oh, I'm yeah. doing a little ballpark tour trying to get to all 32 with my son and so we've knocked off a few in the last few weeks i did baltimore i did the yankees um, we the did, judge uh, hit a dinger when you were there. It's like, he's hitting he, one every game. He did it's not. They got throttled oh. by the Mariners. They were down <laughs> six runs in the first half of the first. Oh, that's he, not good. 
But Aaron um, Judge, man, like I was yeah. looking at those stats on where he's at right now. It's like one of the greatest home run seasons we've ever seen. And uh, man, he just pounds the ball. At the end of the month, I think we're going to do a three-day swing. We're going to get Cubs at Wrigley, followed by Cubs at Milwaukee, mm. and then end it with White Sox, Diamondbacks. So we're going to do three parks in three days. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Cross three off the list. Oof, that's not bad. That that's fun. good living. Good like living. That. All right. That's going to be a wrap for fill in the blank, guys. Uh, as always, delivered by our friends at DoorDash. Ding dong. So there we go. Uh, busy episode, Frank. Busy episode. And um, we will uh, enjoy Italy. We will uh, talk to you from Italy next week. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Cervalli and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcast from to never miss an episode. Delivered by DoorDash. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.